in terms of what does it prepare you for, I think military skills are eminently transferable. Um, so for political things, we'll campaign the language of politics and the language of military uh, uh, military campaigning is pretty much the same. We fight campaigns when we're standing for election, for example. So organising of campaign sessions, for example, well, I'm pretty good at that. It's uh, it's really low-level military stuff. Um, uh, pretty much uh, uh, every junior officer or, or corporal will be able to do this. My name is Johnny Ball, and I'm the founder of Campaign Force, a not-for-profit that inspires, trains, and coaches the armed forces community to stand up and serve again. I've served on the front line of military operations and in civilian life, the front line of UK politics. This Veterans in Politics podcast is a set of interviews brought to you by Campaign Force and sets out to explore how the military community can help make our politics a better place. I lean into my little black book of contacts and sit down with individuals from across the world of politics, sharing secrets, giving tips and advice and inspiring the next generation. We are Campaign Force. This is the Veterans in Politics podcast. Let's introduce you to our guest. This week, Johnny is joined by Greg Hammond, who is a former senior officer in the RAF, who is keen to learn more about politics on leaving. Greg even did what you and I might recognise as work experience in Parliament. He's been a parliamentary candidate, an election agent and now a councillor. He shares his top tips for getting selected and the lessons he learned from failure. It's an episode packed for those looking to find out more about politics from a man that's doing it all. It's time for you to meet our guest. Hello, Greg. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Greg Hammond to the Veterans in Politics podcast. Our guest today is Greg, a former RAF senior officer and serving local government councillor. How are you, Greg, today? Well, hello, Johnny. Yes, I'm very well, thanks, and uh, very excited to be uh, talking to Campaign Force uh, and encouraging other veterans to stand up and serve again. Ah, you've done your homework. <laughs> I'll slip you a fiver for using our strap line later on, definitely. But no, thanks ever so much. And indeed, you've been a really good supporter of Campaign Force. And it's brilliant to have veterans like you serving in our public life. And as in that intro, I mentioned that you are serving as a local councillor. So can you tell us a little bit about your role in local government, your responsibilities and and what, what attracted you to local government in the first place? Well, I, um, this will be a long answer. Um, as a councillor since 2018 in the uh, Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea, uh, my fundamental job is to represent my constituents. So uh, I have 5,800 or so constituents in a three-member ward. So between me and my two colleagues, we represent the interests of those constituents at the town hall uh, and take forward any inter- any issues that they want us to take forward. Um, it, the other side of it um, is to work at the town hall. Uh, so I think there's two sides to local government. Uh, you're either in the executive or you're not in the executive. I'm not in the executive. Um, but if you are in the executive, that's effectively like being in the government local level or the, the cabinet, um, the mini cabinets that runs most local authorities. If you're not in the executive, your job as a backbench councillor 
um, in my case, on the majority side is to hold the executive to account. On the opposition side, of course, it's to the job is to oppose, but that's not my my position. So as a backbencher um, uh, and as a whip uh, within the group, um, I work with my colleagues to uh, hold the executive to account on scrutiny committees. So I'm a member of two committees at the moment, the Overview and Scrutiny Committee and the Housing and Communities Select Committee. Uh, but I have done some of the other committees over the last three years. Uh, and alongside that, I'm also on the licensing committee, which is one of the two quasi-judicial uh, committees, which makes decisions on, uh, in this case, licensing cases in the borough. Uh, the other quasi-judicial uh, committee is planning, which I'm not on. So that's the work at the town hall. Um, the third side of it is more the party side, um, because as a councillor, you're also a leading member of your, your party. So I'm expected to, uh, in my case, the Conservative Party, to be uh, a leading member of the party in my ward and to deliver votes for the party in other elections, apart from just council elections in the ward. So, so that's the, the councillor role. Um, so three elements to it, representing constituents, working at the town hall and the political leadership in addition to that, I have a, a local party role uh, and I'm on the board of Kensington, Chelsea and Fulham Conservatives, uh, just coming to the end of my three year term as the Kensington constituency representative. So I think that answers the first part of your question. And I've actually forgotten what the second part was. <laughs> no, uh, fully. And it's been a really, it's a busy role. I think it, that list of things, roles and responsibilities, the quasi-judicial side of it, that a lot of people won't be aware of. And I think the times that we live in have been a really good moment for local government. It's really um, helped understand the public's relationship with the government that's closest to them, which is local government. But indeed, before politics, you had a long career in the Royal Air Force. And we it's great to talk to. I think you're only our second RAF veteran guest on the show. Indeed, we had Darren Henry MP in season one. But can you tell us a little bit about your RAF career? And, and are there any experiences during that time that have equipped you well for politics, you think? Uh, right, well, let's pull up a sandbag then and tell you a few um, stories about the RAF. So I, I joined as a university cadet, so a sponsorship um, in the 1980s during the during the Cold War. Uh, when I qualified, I was an RAF fighter control officer, uh, helping with the air defence of the United Kingdom. I transitioned from that into flying duties on the E3D AWACS aircraft, which I did for about 10 years. Uh, flying in the Balkans operations and Bosnia, Kosovo, um, and then the the first Gulf War and Afghanistan when it first kicked off. And then I was promoted, effectively promoted out of flying and did a number of uh, more senior roles, including working in a couple of Whitehall private offices as military assistant. Uh, I was station commander of RAF Filingdales in Yorkshire, the ballistic missile warning station. Uh, I was deputy commandant of the RAF College at Cranwell. And my last job was head of intelligence, one of the deployable headquarters at Northwood. Um, I could list a large number of other jobs, but 32 years, that gives a flavour of the sort of variety that I think wouldn't be untypical of a 32-year service career. In terms of what does it prepare you for, I think military skills are 
eminently transferable. Um, so for political things, we'll campaign the language of politics and the language of military uh, uh, the military campaigning is pretty much the same. We fight campaigns when we're standing for election, for example. So organising of campaign sessions, for example, well, I'm pretty good at that. It's uh, it's really low-level military stuff. Um, uh, pretty much uh, uh, every junior officer or, or corporal will be able to do this. You, you set a time for a campaign session. You communicate that to your troops, uh, you assemble them, you brief them and uh, set them off uh, and have a meeting time at the end of the campaign session. So my ward is always the uh, pretty much the best in terms of canvassing in uh, in our local authority area because I organise it with military efficiency and <laughs> military precision and I do have rep reputation for that, but it gets results. So that's, that really low-level military uh, skill is very useful. Uh, an election campaign is like going on operations. It's absolutely relentless. You don't get a day off for the, the period. And I've fought a number of elections now, not only my own in 2018, but I was agent for the parliamentary seat, the most marginal seat in London. We started in 2019 with a majority of minus 20 after four recounts in the 2017 election, which was uh, a pretty tiring experience. Uh, in 2019, we turned it round to a majority of 150 um, on our side, which was uh, only one after only one recount. So close elections, being an agent, uh, absolutely relentless. But anybody who's been on operations, which I think most people coming out of the military now will have had some experience of, you, you've got the mindset. And then uh, I, I think the other thing that equipped me quite well uh, and actually being involved at the town hall and seeing how local government operates and getting stuff done for my constituents. If you look at a local government wiring diagram, uh, it was pretty recognisable as uh, something I've been used to in the RAF or uh, an RAF station or a military headquarters. Now, of course, the subject matters are different, but the town hall has a department doing adult, adult social care and health. It has a department doing education. It has an environment department, which includes transport and highways, waste collection, culture. And so the sort of things that my constituents want me to deliver for them. Uh, so, for example, last night I found some fly tipping. Uh, I knew instantly where to go because you only have to look at the wiring diagram and you can pretty much work out with a bit of military uh, experience or even civil service experience where to where to go in that wiring diagram to pull some strings um, and those sort of basic project management skills that that we've got well i've found delivering stuff some of the projects have been quite long term like um, uh, i found some junctions with some bad accident records so looking at uh, looking at how do you deliver a change um, well it's not something that happens instantly you have to have a redesign you have to have consultations uh, and the officers will know that I'm not going to go away because I'm persistent. Um, I know what steps have to be taken to get to a result and I'm not going away anywhere um, because I don't just take the word for it. I follow stuff through. And that's a skill that I learned in the, the military. But you can get a lot done in local government. Unlike in parliament where an MP can't just wander into Whitehall and get uh, change the world, uh, in local government, the changes are much, and the, the the things that it does are much more local, much more intimate. 
uh, and you can really get change done fairly quickly. So th this will sound really small, but within a month of being elected, I had a pay and an underused pay and display parking bay changed to a residence parking bay. Um, really straightforward stuff, but uh, you can actually make a difference to people's life. That made a difference to the people that lived in that road, but it can be achieved through knowing which officers to, to deal with and having a relationship um, with them that they will listen to you and make some changes that, that your residents want. I think you've described it so well. And I think often people overlook local government. I'm a massive advocate of local government, having worked with local government for several years myself and having you know been the agent for hundreds of local government candidates and to see the impact that you can make i should also imagine that um officers in the local government in local council when they hear your uh, footsteps coming down the corridor sort of uh <laughs> might think oh god <laughs> it's going to come to get some stuff done uh but you, you've described that ability to get stuff done so well as well as all those skills that the armed forces community have in abundance at every level of rank, not just, you know, obviously 32 years service in the RAF and you're know, reaching a senior rank. It's not, not just those of your rank have left at your rank that can get stuff done, but juniors and you know, junior officers, junior NCOs too. So I think you've been, you're a brilliant salesperson for local government, if I may say so. Um, but why do you think some people overlook local government and automatically think I'm going to go for parliament? Why do you think that's the case? I don't actually know if they do overlook local government. Um, I mean, I was first interested in politics when I was a teenager, and and I think I came to it through through um, looking at the swingometer and election results and finding that really exciting. And I still do, actually. Uh, I think when I was uh, 20, I could quote the names of every one of the MPs in Parliament and their majorities, and what swing would re require be required to unseat them. And I, I that level of geekery is something that I've had with me for uh, well since I was a teenager which is uh, a very long time Snap. Um, but I I was so um, I, I discovered councils um, very quickly after I discovered parliament so I think watching local government elections I found as interesting as uh, uh, almost as watching national elections and of course the beauty with local government elections if you're a geek is that they come around much more frequently than national elections uh, there's local government elections somewhere in the country uh, every normal year. I know we didn't have any last year, but um, in every normal year, there's something to interesting to look forward to. And if you're a campaigner, to get stuck into. Um, so I don't think I did overlook local government personally. Um, what I did overlook, however, were the other types of jobs that you can do in Parliament. So while I had this teenage ambition to be an MP, because that was the uh, the, the visible uh, front side of being, of politics um, and being a councillor was something I thought I might do as well or instead of uh, and and of course I've ended up being a councillor. What I hadn't realised at that day and had overlooked were all the paid pro professional jobs in, in politics um, which are equally valuable and equally important. Um, so for example I think there's probably three groups of that I can think of. There's work for the parties, so in party headquarters or in the constituencies working on campaigning or, or political support. There are work, there's work in parliament for supporting individual MPs. And uh, I did apply for a job doing, doing that once um, 
just after I left the RAF, I applied for an internship. I was competing against new graduates, but uh, it was runner-up. But I did do some work experience there um, as a result of that, which was really interesting and quite a good insight into what goes on. So that's another field of work. And I think the third side, perhaps more for for policy geeks, uh, the think tanks, um, um, which quite often transition into jobs as special advisors to, to ministers, a um, bit of a revolving door there. So that sort of whole professional side of politics without being the front person uh, was, was something I overlooked. And the other thing I think I overlooked were the, was the voluntary party. And I mentioned I've got a role in the, the voluntary party at the moment as the I'm the constituency representative. We're, we're a federation of two conservative associations. So I speak up for the Kensington constituency and the Kensington, Chelsea and Fulham conservatives. So that means I'm one of six board members running the association, which is an organisation of about two and a half to three thousand members, um, fluctuating with two parliamentary constituencies, um, one and a half London boroughs. And we're two of the five parliamentary seats that makes up a London Assembly constituency as well. So speaking up for the Kensington seat, uh, my distinctive role is to run the parliamentary candidate selection, which I did in 2019 because we lost the seat in 2017, shortly before I took on this job. And so I ran the selection for a new parliamentary candidate in 2019. Again, lots of military skills involved in that. And we selected a brilliant candidate and I'm happy to say that she won the election in December 2019 narrowly, um, but, uh, and I acted as her agent during that that position uh, that 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 campaign. So the things that that's what I overlooked was the voluntary side. There's a whole career path you can make of voluntary politics. There's a career path you can make of professional things without being elected, and then the elected members, well, I suppose it is professional because it's paid up to a point, but. Um, um, but uh, it's a different side of it. I can certainly think, speak for that second strand of the professional side of it, having uh, done a, a career in, in party politics professionally uh, for many years. Um, but I think what you've described there is almost like the asymmetric nature of politics. There are so many different opportunities in which the military community can stand up and serve again, um, you know, whether it be voluntary, professional or elected. There are so many strands to that. People see it so kind of black and white, I guess, and perhaps don't understand. There are many ways, light touch or indeed in your case, very heavy touch of getting involved in um, politics. And I'm just really glad that you've been able to describe them probably better than I can, um, in fact, uh, because you've certainly had so many more, more touch points across the piece. But I mean, like me, a political geek, I remember sitting up watching Crescent Time and the Swingometer and things and, you know, throwing uh, cushions at the at the telly, uh, being uh, angry about different issues as a young person. But why, apart from sort of political geekery, why did you, in the end, after that long RF career, actually decide to stand up and serve again and get involved fully in politics? Well, it is totally vocational. and I'm going to have to go back to uh, having had this, this political bug um, since a teenager. I was driving back. I was commanding RAF Filingdales back in 2009 when the expenses scandal hit. And I was driving back from Lincolnshire, uh, where my late father lived. I'd been visiting him on a Sunday night. And I heard on the news that David Cameron was 
as part of his response to the expenses scandal, was reopening his parliamentary candidates list for the 2010 general election. And I thought to myself, uh, it was an instant thought, and it, it shows how vocational this is. This is the time I need to get stuck into politics. This is my opportunity. And within a month, I think I'd filled in an application form, got some sponsors, and I was called forward for a, an interview and got through that and got onto the Conservative Party's approved parliamentary candidates list. And because I would have had to resign from the RAF if I'd been selected and I wasn't really um, prepared to, for the long journey, I only applied for safe seats in the lead up to the twenty. 10 general election and I, I think I applied for 15 of them in different parts of the country where I thought I could live or represent happily and um, make a difference and I against the odds got through to uh, the final of one of those um, in elsewhere in Yorkshire and I, I have to say I was really I did well to get through to the, the final uh, the last four out of I think about 150 applicants um, but I crashed and burned in the uh, the final, um, which was quite a, a bruising experience. I, I wasn't uh, really ready for it, and I was absolutely rubbish in the interview. Um, but uh, yeah, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and you have to to learn from that. Uh, so I didn't get selected. Um, uh, I had to tell the RAF at this point that when I went to this interview, this final interview, that I might have to resign on Monday, and they were they were quite good about it. Uh, I have to say. Um, but having having not been selected and being due to get posted to my next job was in Kabul, what I didn't want to do was resign from the service uh, and give stitch somebody else up with uh, having to go to Kabul <laughs> at three weeks' notice. So uh, so there was a point where I, I cut off the applications and uh, gave up for that election. And then come the 2015, I was on the parliamentary list and still serving. Um, obviously, I there's a limit to what you can do as a crown servant uh, so i wasn't doing any political campaigning or anything that's a voter contact but i did start going to party conferences um and learning more, more about the political process come the 2015 general election five years later uh i'd been promoted in the the meantime uh and i was doing a job i really enjoyed in the raf as deputy commandant at the raf college at cranwell i didn't want to leave so I didn't apply for um, Parliament at that stage. Um, but come the 2017 general election, I had left the RAF by that stage. So um, um, I uh, applied then for a target seats and uh, uh, I got, uh, I got, I, I got, came second in uh, the selection for a seat in Nottinghamshire. I, I was, my performance on the, the final was far better than, than it had been in the previous one. So I'd learned from that experience, but I was beaten by a local who I think had enough um, supporters in the audience to win the vote, um, regardless of how uh, the relative difference in the performance uh, of, of the speeches and the answers to questions. So there was no personal resentment there. It was that's that's politics. Um, I then I actually missed the phone call when they wanted me to stand for a non-target non seat in, in 2017. And, and it was quite fast moving because the general election had caught everybody out um, uh, in, in the parties. So, so I campaigned locally in London. So my third opportunity for elected office was my local council where I, where I live in, uh, in London. And the third opportunity of going for selection, I topped the poll uh, 
um, because I'd learned about how to do selections by by that point and how to present myself in a in a more attractive way to the the target audience. And I'd been working in the local area for for a while, so a lot of them knew me anyway. I've, I've, I've been rambling on there. I've forgotten what the question was, but uh, I hope hopefully it was interesting and useful. It was really about why you got involved. And oh, yes. <laughs> it's that it's that journey that you've had from uh, you know as a as a young man being interested in politics to public service all of your career and life to actually going through the bruises and scars of of political um selections which is which is not easy i mean what was different from that rather bruising experience you described in your first sort of parliamentary selection uh to the to the subsequent selections what was different what what had you learned and what are those kind of things you could pass on to others and in mistakes not to make um gosh there's a lot of them i I think it's about preparation it's about presenting a a vision um about what you're going to do for them it's not about you i was i think in the first interview uh, on that platform it was too much i did it answered too much about me as a person not about what i would do for them what my skill sets would do to win the election and how I could advance their interests. So when I stood for my council for for selection as a candidate for my ward, which was quite competitive, um, uh, and I think the selection audience in my ward in London, which is a very safe uh, conservative ward, was larger than the audience that um, was doing the selection in Nottinghamshire for the target seat. I, I presented what my vision for the area was and how I could um, advance what needed to be done to maintain good services for um, local people today at good value for money. So I think that's uh, that's probably what I learned. I, I think the other thing to bring out of this, uh, which is for everybody going into politics, not just ex-members of the armed forces, it's all about being persistent and not going away and learning from mistakes. Um, it's it's only you can really as an individual can control your your career and uh, if you still want to make a difference you've just got to keep going and find an outlet for what you want to achieve and, and just be persistent that's really good advice yeah literally just dig in keep going learn from mistakes and i liked what you said as well about how that kind of shift on on thinking about what your vision and what you could do for them, and I think that as a general rule rule of thumb, as m- many times you say I or me, you need to be saying you probably about two or three times more than that, and really that will bridge that gap between you and that connectivity to those that you wish to serve, whether it be in the selection meeting or indeed the the constituents when you're out there communicating to residents that you hope to elect for you so there's some really good tips there greg um really appreciate those i'm sure our listeners do too and um i mean you did mention in there about something that you you what you want to achieve for the future is there is there sort of a big thing that you'd love to have an impact on in politics whether it be locally or or nationally what do you really hope to achieve in your political career um when i was a squadron leader, I think I probably have to go back that that far. I could have answered the where do you expect to be in five years time question fairly easily because there's a career path mapped out that you can follow. And I pretty much did follow it. Uh, I don't think that's really true 
later on, I think towards the end of my military career, I was more about taking opportunities and seeing where they led. And that's even more so in, in Sevy Street uh, in a in a job or a portfolio career as I've got without any kind of career profile. So I think it's more about taking opportunities and seeing where they lead. I, I, I think I don't have any... Um, I can't answer that in terms of where do I want, what do I want to have done in terms of holding offices or jobs. I think being true to the values that I, I, I that motivate me, I think is what I want to, to do. And the vision I set for my local area was that it, it looks as good in a hundred years time as it does today. I mean, it's mostly conservation area and listed buildings and it needs to be protected while also maintaining the good services, which I mentioned. So that's a whole heritage side, I think is really important locally in terms of the wider values they are sort of conservative values of freedom and opportunity security hefty dose of pragmatism to uh, to achieve results and a sort of strong belief in our national and our local identities so being true to those and finding opportunities in which i can advance those those values and serve uh, residents I think is what I want to achieve. So um, that's there's no sort of one big thing. So if you were hoping that I was going to say I'm the next prime minister, but one or something like that, no, um, uh, I don't see my career like that at all. I was trying to tease it out of you, but no, I think um, ending on that that phrase serve is a really important one. And Greg, I think we'll we'll wrap it up there. That's been it's been amazing talking to you. Um, your you know your career has been absolutely unbelievable the length of your career in the RAF and and what you've done in politics in such a short space of time covering so many um, facets of it and how you've described that to our listeners has been really valuable so thank you so much I've really enjoyed talking to you and uh, we'll leave it there it's my pleasure thank you very much thanks to our guests and thank you for listening if you've enjoyed this podcast hit subscribe now alternatively you can support our mission by checking out in the show notes below where you can rate, donate, or become our mate. Thank you.